Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And, you know, I got another great show for you guys today. It's uh, more interviews that I did at the Libertarian Party of uh, Pennsylvania convention in Philadelphia two weeks ago. I got interviews with Brian Ellison, Adam Kokesh, and Joe McHugh. Um, Maybe you haven't heard of all of them. I'm sure most of you have heard of Adam Kokesh, but all of these guys bring to the table great ideas and uh, the focus on criminal justice reform is uh, very, it's very much stressed in most of the interviews, except for the one with Adam, um, because we talked a lot more about his his overall platform, um, because it is such a unique platform for a presidential candidate. So you can hear those in just a minute. Before we do that, guys, I got to address the the elephant in the room here. Uh, the elephant in the room being the uh, coronavirus, the uh, COVID-19. Actually, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. I've just read it. So is that how they're saying it? I don't know. I feel like Brian McWilliams. And really the government's reaction to it. And it's getting pretty damn scary. And I'm not somebody who's in the conspiracy camp to the degree where I think that it's not like a real virus. I think people are actually dying. I think this is a very big threat. I'm very worried about uh, loved ones and and people that are close to me who are immune compromised, who are over the age of 60, 70. I'm very concerned about that. And I think everybody should be. But that's not an excuse for this government overreach. And uh, there's just something that I wanted to share with you guys, something that I shared on Facebook yesterday and uh, you know, it's, it's something that I, I think sums up my position on this in just a, in just a couple uh, couple lines. And, uh, you know, I, I really want to put the focus, I want to keep looking forward, looking forward, looking past this, because so many people are stuck up just in this moment right now, and we're all stuck. You know, we're, we're stuck in our house, we're stuck working from home, we're stuck without a job. We're, we're just, we can't operate the businesses we own, different things like that. Everybody's stuck right now. And I, I just want to, I just want to try to shift the focus to, to look forward. And I want you to just imagine for me when we're looking back on this weeks from now, months from now, whenever this passes, just imagine how you're going to feel. So just remember guys, we will get through this. We will remember the doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals who've stepped up and are sacrificing everything. We will remember who needs to be held accountable for this incredible government o- overreach. Every single politician, we will remember each and every single one and their level of tyranny that they have enacted upon, the liberty they've stolen from individuals, shutting down businesses, stealing income from hardworking Americans. We will, we will remember the people who bought a thousand rolls of toilet paper so I can't sleep at night. And I'm wondering when my 15 rolls I have in my closet, how long it's going to last, when it's going to run out, can I buy more? It's, uh, it's just not cool. We will remember that the CDC and the FDA prevented testing kits from being manufactured and distributed 
before we ever had a case in this country. And especially once we had a case in Washington, there was a company ready to develop tests and test in Washington, and the CDC and FDA would not allow it. This crisis wouldn't have happened in a libertarian society, friends. Would not have happened. We'll be buying testing kits on Amazon and be able to self-isolate and uh, know who is uh, infected and stop the spread of disease that way. We will remember the gas station attendants, the grocery store clerks, the beer distributor cashier, and so many more who've continued to work in the face of fear when the country cowers in fear. We will remember the people who are prohibited from working in restaurants, bars, and retail stores throughout the country due to government decree. And we will support the heck out of them when this is over. We will celebrate when this is over like nothing the world has ever seen before. And let me tell you, my friends, this is a tough time right now. And I hope that this show today gives you a little break. You can think about politics, think about some libertarian ideas, think about criminal justice reform. And uh, my, my wish for you is that this gives you a little escape. So without saying anything else, um, hopefully you've enjoyed my rambling. If you haven't, I'm sorry, but you're still listening. So the interview is happening right now. All right. I am here with Brian Ellison. He is uh, running for, for president, Libertarian Party, and uh, one of, I don't know, maybe 12 candidates here in uh, the PA convention. So good to have you on the show. I appreciate you having me, John. And we were just talking uh, pre-show that criminal justice reform um, you know, getting to the core of these issues that we care so much about is something that uh, you have a little bit of history and activism in. So yeah, you, absolutely. You want to share, share some of that? To yeah. Start out. In fact, I just got off probation last week for uh, some of my antics from the 2018 campaign. Um, yeah, I, I mean, growing up, one of my one of the things I wanted to do was to be a police officer. Don't even ask me why, because I can't even tell you at this point. Uh, but it's something that I pursued when I when I got out of high school and went into college. I took criminal justice courses. Uh, I, I joined the military, got out of the military, and I went back and, and uh, I got into construction for several years. And a few years back, I decided, hey, I want to get back into this uh, uh, criminal justice and pursue a, a career in law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually as a, as a result of a, um, what I consider an unlawful arrest. I was arrested because I protested this to the cops searching my car uh, when I was pulled over. Okay. Um, so, so anyway, that kind of lit, lit a fire under me. So I decided to uh, uh, abandon my construction career, and I, I went to the police academy. This was in 2016. Graduated top of my class, uh, won the leadership award from the police academy. And then uh, when I got out, I was applying for jobs and found that, uh, hey, when you've been arrested in the past, it's kind of hard to uh, get a job as a police officer. And um, and so I, I got back into construction. So this, I've always kind of had a passion for more for the justice side of it than the law enforcement side of it. So, so they let you actually go through the police academy with that? But yeah, then, but then you couldn't find a job as a as a cop, right? So, so the way it's structured is it's it was ba- it was a community college police academy, <clears throat> and several of the uh, cadets that were in the class were already hired by uh, different departments, and then there was several of us probably probably about half and half half were already officers, and half of us were uh, sponsoring ourselves, and so yeah, you know, I had to go, I would go went through an interview in the in the initial interview to get into the police academy. They did tell me, hey, you're probably gonna have a hard time, and I said, well, I'm gonna knock this academy out of the park, which I did. And I thought that would, uh, you know, buy me some leeway in the hiring process. I'm glad ultimately that I didn't get hired. Uh, my my idealistic goal was to like try and change the system from the inside. And I think, you know, I, I know that that's really not possible at this point. I probably would have been a cop for three or four months, and I would have been fired. So, 
So anyway, yeah, I got into some activism um, in uh, 2018 in the spring. There was two um, killings by uh, Royal Oak police officers, and this is a city of about 55,000 to 60,000. They killed two unarmed men in 35 days, the only two murders in that entire year. And so I turned the focus of my campaign onto that. I actually did a, um, what we call it, we called it the war on cops. Um, de- de- literally declared war on cops. I was following cops around. I, you know, my YouTube channel uh, grew a little bit during that mm-hmm. time. And so, yeah, really kind of focusing on that reform, bringing attention to that. Exposure. How did the uh, the cops you were following around, how'd they like that? They hated it. So, um, so we did two protests, um, and I was arrested at the first one in June, June of 2018. Um, and I was on, um, I was out on bond, and we did a second protest. And when I did the second protest, I was arrested a second time, and the um, prosecutor filed a motion to, to get a, effectively a restraining order against me that prohibited me from being within 50 feet of any law enforcement officer uh, and, or anyone acting on my behalf, wow. which was really bizarre. And so it actually, um, you know, when I got the motion in the mail that that's what they were trying to do, I laughed. I called my attorney. I'm like, this is going to be hilarious. Let's go to. And it actually passed. So the, the judge actually signed a thing saying you cannot be within 50 feet of any law enforcement officer. And that was that was the black and white of it. I swear to God. So um, so I, you know, I played it up. I went back. I filed like three or four motions to have it revised because I went in front of the judge. I was like, look, if I'm at a stop sign and a cop pulls up behind me, I got to run. If I'm driving down the road and a cop's getting too close, I got to flee. Like you're forcing me mm-hmm. to get to get into a, you know, to commit a felony essentially to comply with your order. Right. So we went through several revisions, but, um, you know, I think I was able to bring some exposure to it, certainly locally. And uh, luckily the police haven't killed anybody in the now going on two years. So maybe we were effective. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's sad when that has to be the bar. That, oh, yeah, they haven't killed anyone recently. So we're making, we're making progress. But seriously, that's, that's progress. It that's, is what good. it is, right? Yeah. So turn our attention to this campaign here. You're running for president. Um, what's, your, what's your ultimate goal with running for president? Are you running seriously to get the nomination? Or are you just trying to, to you know, gain awareness on a particular topic? Or yeah, what's, so this what's is really just an extension of my activism. I'm not delusional enough. I mean, I just got into the race a, a, a few weeks ago, three weeks or so mm-hmm. ago. This is actually my first campaign appearance. And um, really, I've noticed a disturbing trend within the party of uh, – some uh, we're attracting i think some of the wrong people that are harmful to our cause i think that we're attracting people from the right um and and i don't mean you know i'm I'm not a big fan of general conservatives but i can deal with them but it's the it's the alt-right people it's the people that are bringing their blade just to let you guys know brian is wearing a it's okay to punch nazis t-shirt so yeah maybe that's what you're getting at this is my design uh, and so, really, that's kind of the focus of my of my uh, candidacy at this point. Is I want to. I, I don't think those people have a place in this party. I think there's there's people that are making an argument otherwise that they do have a place here, and I think that hurts us. I think that we have, a, especially this election cycle, we have a great opportunity for outreach to the left. We've done the outreach to the right for years, and it's got us to where we're at right now. But I think we've plateaued. We're going to have a bunch of Bernie bros that are going to be upset here real soon. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to capitalize that, we need to focus on those those left-leaning issues. And uh, and I think that you know being opposed to something as basic as bigotry, which is obviously in our platform, mm-hmm. is something I think we, sh- we should elevate and should be something that it's important that we talk about. So if you were to get the nomination, what types of things would you do in order to um, you know shine a light on the criminal justice system when it's changed? Oh, man. Um, you know, I really haven't given it that much thought. Like I said, you know, we did the, 
I think fo- focusing on accountability was a big thing. I actually did a, um, I tried to start up a website. I was so busy at the time and ended up, you know, on probation and everything else after my, uh, my campaign, but I st- started a website and the goal of it was to was for police accountability, where people could file reports against police officers. I think one of the biggest problems is when you complain against a police officer. It's it's private. It's protected from from uh, the Freedom of Information Act. None of that stuff. A report against a police officer is not public information. And so, the police departments are able to hide that, and you're not you're not able to know. Now, when that officer gets fired, he can go to another police department, and they don't have access to his personnel record. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to do is create a, a website for accountability where people, if they have an issue, they wanted to file a complaint with, with, uh, uh, against an officer or against mm-hmm. a department. It's public information, and you can search it. Um, and, and you know, I think it's a great idea. I think that if we could come up with a way to establish a national database with that type of transparency, I think it would go miles to reforming how these people behave. You could behave. actually do that both ways. You could do positive and negative interactions. Absolutely. Like, you know, Officer Smith, you actually helped me out and did, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I have a hard didn't time. Didn't shoot my dog. It was nice. Right. right. <laughs> there you go. That's a good positive. You didn't, just like you didn't kill anybody this last year, right? Hey, well, let's give credit where credit's due. Exactly. Um, so what's your number one? Actually, let's, let's, let's ask this question. Looking at the U.S. criminal justice system right now, What's the biggest problem? What's the first thing that jumps in your mind when you think of it? That it's completely missing. There's no justice, right? Uh, I, I mean, it, we know that, that, the, that, that it's very racially motivated. Prosecutions are, uh, convictions are, sentencing is, everything. It, it's, there's this racial bias to it, which I think just undermines the entire, the entire process. Aside from that, we have all these crimes that are being committed. And, you know, the old cliche, no victim, no crime. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're wasting It's a motto time. of my show. Oh, is it? There you go. I mean, so it's like, well, I don't mean to call your motto a cliche, so I, let me apologize. But, uh, but, but really, I mean, we're... we're Locking people up, um, you know, prisons for profit. There's just so there's no justice. The number one thing that pops out, there's no such thing as criminal justice. I agree. Um, so, like, turning attention to the prison system, because I feel like libertarians focus on, you know, we want to end the war on drugs. That's great. We want to end police, you know, police abuse and, and all these different things. But the actual prison system itself, I feel like we don't talk about it that much. And, you know, I've had people on my show recently who maybe they're in prison for maybe committing a crime, um, a nonviolent crime, maybe fraud or something like that. But once they get in the prison system, if they speak out against conditions within the within the system and, um, you know, they'll get labeled as a troublemaker and they essentially get abused and tortured and things like that. So as a presidential candidate or as a elected president, what types of things would you want to do to reform the prison system? So you turn into a, a you know, really a a positive arena where you're going to help people to change the direction of life in a positive way rather than turning into this, uh, you know, cycle of recidivism. Yeah. So I, I, this is one thing I really struggle with because aside from when you have somebody who's a, a violent, a danger to society, an mm-hmm. immediate danger, I have a hard time justifying locking some up, someone up. I think that if you want justice, it should be taught. We should be talking about retribution rather than, uh, you know, lock punishment. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, th- I think that, you know, and, and I have my own experience in going to jail. I, I haven't been to prison, but I did go to jail for four days. And uh, the conditions are incredibly inhumane. I, I expected when I went to jail that it would be like you'd go, I'd go in, and within a few hours they'd put me in a cell and I'd have a bunk. And I, I, for, for three days I slept, slept on the concrete floor with the lights on 24 hours, and they fed me one hot meal and two cold meals a day. Um, 
this is and this is jail. This is a county jail. There was no conviction. How, how many of those people in there are innocent? Then talk about I mean even the innocent people in prison even after they're convicted. So um, I, I think that completely removing the profit model from prisons I think is is critical. Um, I hate to say that the government should be responsible for something, but but frankly, if you put profit a profit incentive in there, it just distorts the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So so quit convicting people for victimless crimes. Quit sentencing people who are not a threat. You know, focus again on retribution. You have these people that are that could be being productive members of society and, and doing something to earn back and take care of their their victims, and instead they're spending all their time in jail. And by the way, when you get out of jail, they send you a bill. Yeah. So it's like uh, you know, I, I, but like how much roughly? How much of a bill did you get for this? It was days? like sixty something dollars a day. Now I didn't pay it, yeah. right? I mean, I was advised don't pay it, but mm-hmm. and they stop stop trying to collect it from you. But yeah, they bill you. They send you to jail, not convicted, and then mm-hmm. they send and then they send you a bill when you get out. It's not enforceable, but yeah, no. I'm sure people pay it. Of course they do. Yeah. So. So uh, last question here, and maybe it's a little controversial, but whatever. I feel like every. Uh, presidential candidate deserves a chance to to speak to it right now because it's been sort of brought to the forefront. Um, there's a candidate in the, uh, the the race who has said them said some things about age of consent laws, and another one who's come out in support of age of consent laws. Is do you have a you know a, a stance on age of when it comes to age of consent, or how do you think that should be handled? I, I think that so this is a very interesting topic, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I have. Um, I don't think there's any great way to talk about it. There isn't. Um, I, I think that the issue is that when we assign the responsibility to government, inevitably it becomes arbitrary. If we say, oh, this should not be a responsibility of government, it, it makes the optics are horrible, right? It makes it sound like uh, what we're trying to say is has somehow relates to our support for pedophilia, which is ridiculous. So, I, I mean, I think that all things being equal, um, if I wanted to talk about, you know, ageism and age discrimination, that's not where I'm going to go. Let's start with voting age. Mm-hmm. Let's start with tobacco use. Let's start with alcohol use. Let's start with things where joining the military, these things where the government is assigning arbitrary ages to things. And let's talk about how we should eliminate or deal with those and leave the rest of it out of the discussion. There's no need for it. Uh, I think that's a community issue. That's a family issue. That's a personal issue. And I, I just think that, um, you know, I wouldn't touch it at this point. The government ha- has their laws. I'm not going to advocate for changing those laws. Again, if we want to talk about age discrimination or, or problems with classifying people by, by age, there's plenty of other avenues we can go down. I mean, the reason I bring it up is because it's been brought up and it's going to be a 30-second question on a debate stage, which really I think people deserve more time to elaborate on. It. Right. Anyway, Brian, just want to give you a chance to plug uh, you know, your, your website or where people can learn more about you before you go. Yeah, so you can. Sh- I'm, I'm most active on, on Facebook. My Facebook page is Brian Ellison Political Activist. Um, you can check out my campaign website. That's brianellison.me. And uh, you can find me at Twitter, B. Ellison Says Hi. All right. Thanks for your time, Brian. All right. Thanks a lot. Hey, everybody. Coming at you real quick to tell you about a brand new podcast. I want to ask you first. Do you have a disdain for authority? I mean, do you really hate authority down deep in your bones? I mean, I'm talking about arbitrary authority. 
I'm talking about the government, not your dentist. I mean, if you have disdain for your dentist, that's between you and your dentist. So I can't help you there. But if you hate arbitrary authority, then you'll love a brand new podcast called Conversations About Freedom. It's hosted by a friend of this show right here, a friend of Lines of Liberty, a warrior for freedom, Moral Bob. Conversations about freedom breaks through the noise and government propaganda to clearly convey the power of freedom. On Conversations About Freedom, Moral Bob uses fact, logic, and morality as his guiding principles to paint a picture as to what a truly voluntary society could look like. You can find Conversations About Freedom everywhere podcasts are found. And if you can't find it today, right now, rest easy. It will be available on your podcast app soon. It's a brand new podcast, so it takes time. Just be patient. Conversations about freedom. Check it out. That president Austin Peterson then today instead of Donald Trump. I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but uh, the... <laughs> I'll blow, I'll blow smoke where it's due, but not in a fantasy world. Uh, but what... Uh, the significance of that is is that we set out the first thing with this campaign, we're going to make every delegate slot in the country competitive so that mm-hmm. we're going to get a nominee who represents the party far better than someone like that, no matter what. And I'm really excited, like, looking at any of the candidates who have serious campaigns, who have any kind of shot at winning the nomination this year. We are all so much better than than what we had with Johnson Weld. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started recording, so I guess the podcast has started. That is wait, the, uh, wait, what point do we start? Because I don't know what what, do I, what am I supposed to repeat, or am I not supposed to repeat? No, all of that's like inside. You get a you get the exclusive. Inside I, I started at, at the, the at the very end when, <laughs> when I said Austin Peterson's going to be our or could have been the next president. That's when I hit the record. So. But. Uh, Adam, thank you. Well, then you, you for, didn't get all the cursing and inappropriate things I said about all those other people that I really want to make sure we didn't get on the record. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, I'm always looking out for you. But, uh, Adam, you've been running for president now for what, five, 10 years, 20 years? Well, yeah, right. I've, almost as long as Vermin Supreme, right? If, if, you, if you look, who's got 30 years actually as a presidential performance artist, I'm glad you asked the question that way because the origin of my campaign is from Bilderberg 2012. And I was there, uh, not as an attendee. Don't no, don't get the wrong idea. I was there. I was a journalist outside. I was with with Alex Jones and uh, Jason Burmis, one of one of his crew at the time. Jason Burmis, the original Info Warrior, and we were debating freedom versus statism. And uh, at one point, he said something like, "Oh yeah, well, what would you do if you were president?" And I was like, <laughs> hmm. And then he was like, no, 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 really. Well, I, well, I would quit, go home, get a real job. What do you mean? Like, I don't want to be president. I don't want to wield this power over other human beings that shouldn't exist in the first place. And because I was representing libertarianism, I thought, well, I should have a better answer. <laughs> like, I should, And he pushed me on it, and he said, if you were magically made president right now, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And there was something that clicked for me at that point. And I said, well, it's, it's already bankrupt. Just declare it bankrupt. Take it through a bankruptcy. Like, you know, you're putting the ring of power on my finger. I'm going to take it off and throw it in the fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am, I'm going to do what I can to, you know, lawfully, respectfully in an orderly process transition out of this centralized system. We don't need it anymore. And it was really just an intellectual exercise. But then he kept asking me questions. 
and it just became this thing that people in my in my audience or my my supporters would just and in interviews well adam you said you would do this what about this and i was like oh you're putting me what but then <laughs> next thing you know you're on a bus no, but then the, an, but, the, the but, no, but then all the answers were really easy that's the thing and this this concept of localization blows my mind i hope we can get into this because it's like everything you apply to you go oh my gosh it solves that problem oh wow it does that too oh my gosh it makes that better it's just it's incredible every stone i turn over and just crazy example here i was at a cal exit california independence movement event in sacramento a few weeks ago and there's a, a somewhat you know, rational fear among uh, libertarians and conservatives that if, if California goes into, you know, in the state, that if California, I mean, the rest of the country is like, yeah, we're not going to miss you. But if for the people in the state, there's a fear that California will go more liberal than it is today. It's not like the federal government is stopping it from being really liberal already, right? But here, so here's the thing. Like, again, I've turned over so many stones being asked all the questions. What about this agency? What about this policy? And there's, the answers are easy. And, and you, I'm just always surprised, again, by how good they are. But even with California, here's, the, here's this critical example. The liberal government of the state of California is more vicious in its effectiveness in ripping off the people of California because of the way it is empowered by the federal government through the fiat currency system, through the federal legal system, through the federal system of corporatism and regulations that favor large businesses. All of this compounds with compounding layers of government and the state government of California, if it went independent and became the sovereign state of California tomorrow, might get more liberal in flavor. But for a conservative or libertarian who is living there, because, I mean, it's a great place to live, you know, if it's, you pay the, the, the paradise tax, right? Uh, it, or for family or professional reasons, whatever it is. Guess what? When California goes independent from the rest of the country, the effectiveness of the state government as a means of ripping you off goes down by at least three quarters, according to these guys, that the amount that if you're going to live under a liberal government, do you want it to be small and local and transparent and relatively efficient and effective in what it's doing? Or do you want it to be this giant overgrown centralized thing that has so many compounded corrupt layers of ripping you off? So even if you want a more fiscally conservative experience as a citizen, as a taxpayer in the state of California, it's better with California independent. And again, people just kept asking me these questions over the years since 2012. What about this? What about that? And eventually it was like, wow, there's a really comprehensive platform here. Mm -hmm. so, so a question that you've probably answered, I don't think I've, I've heard you answer it before, which I just, th I just thought of now when you're saying when, when you take away a state like California's backing in fiat currency, um, what would happen under your plan with the Federal Reserve? Oh, you want to go straight to the hard. This is a, a yeah. it's supposed to be a criminal justice podcast, but you know, I right? No, no, no. no. I, it, before we get into that, because I'm supposed to be on message, right? I'm not supposed to answer the question I was asked. I'm supposed to answer the question I wish I was asked. That's a good, you know, any candidate who's appropriately full of hot air blows the right hot air when they when they feel like it. 
So I, I, I do want to, I'm going to answer your question. But first, I got to say, unity, 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 unify all Americans around freedom, around localization, around live and let live, respect for each other's rights. That's really the core of this. It's the ultimate practical, principle unifying plan. And while I'm a super policy nerd, and I have gone through the federal org chart agency by sub-agency and figured out you know, what agencies get cut up how or, or managed in, in what way in this bankruptcy process, I kind of wish someone would sit me down like Frost Nixon style and grill me for you know 12 hours over three days what's your plan what about this and you know no let's let's do it let's like i want because i that would make you better yeah. I, no but i've already got all the answers yeah. like it's not it's it's it, it, there's a really simple set of principles behind what i have come up with as a platform for dissolving the federal government in a peaceful orderly responsible bankruptcy process that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations and a chance for the american people to take back what's been stolen from us so to the question of cryptocurrency and the dollar like not a lot of people have been like well adam what about this detail like if people i i'm i'm, I'm honored by your question and, and the opportunity to answer something that specific in policy mm. that most people well, yeah, don't I, I don't think ask. of it being as I just hadn't thought of it before. I don't think it's that specific because really the fiat currency it's such a large intertwining part of our life that drives and manipulates so many different oh, things yeah. in our society. Yeah. So it's You think more people but most people don't even understand it. You know, I mean yeah. how many of us read and the Fed by Ron Paul yeah, because, right. you know, mm-hmm. we cared enough to put that t- and you know what here but here's the other thing sidebar for for your audience in particular mm-hmm. for people who care about these things the state's not going to end a day sooner because you read another economics textbook it's going to end sooner because we got people dancing in the same direction we learned how to talk to our friends and our neighbors and our family about what we care about and and, and put forth practical policy that can unite every single american that's what localization is so to your question i'm not i'm really not dodging it i just had to we're gonna get all that out of the way first um the question of how soon should America get off the dollar really needs to be answered from the most principled position possible, which is let the market decide. The only thing we can say as ethicists, as libertarians, because we believe in freedom as a moral principle, not just a good idea, that we remove the coercive backing. And that's happening on day one under this platform. We declare the federal government bankrupt. The Constitution is null and void. All federal laws cease being enforced on day one. I resign the presidency to become custodian of the federal government. And the only authority that I have is in overseeing a bankruptcy process that is laid out in as much detail as possible in advance. And we're going to have a at least rough comprehensive draft of what this executive order would look like by the national convention. So people, by the time I'm, av- I'm, I'm actually asking people to vote for me to be the nominee of the Libertarian Party, you'll know exactly what you're voting for. And it's not for me to be president, it's for this exact plan. And it's really important for the American people as well to say, like, look, you can have you know, a jerk in a red suit or a jer- jerk in a blue suit, or you can have freedom. Yeah, because you're you're not voting. You're not saying, "Hey, vote for me. I want to be president." You're saying, 
Vote for, the, Nobody vote for this plan. Vote yeah. for yourself. Vote yeah. for freedom. Nobody should be president. It's insane. It's an insane position. It's, it's a power that shouldn't exist. Who's, who, who should have their hands on levers of power that cannot be operated, even with the best of intentions, without hurting millions of people? It's just, it, it, it's insane, the whole system. And we don't need it. Every state government is already a plenty overgrown bureaucracy capable of customizing itself to the people and its border rather than, you know, needing a larger central government in the feds. And the other thing, just to go back to my home, home state of California, that uh, if California successfully says to the federal government, hey, screw you, we're out of here, we're declaring our independence. Oh, yeah, but no, not you, Orange County. You got to stay. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Orange County gets to say, yeah, cool. Well, guess what? We don't want to be part of the state of California either. And, you know, California's Orange County as the notorious conservative libertarian-ish pocket there. Um, I don't know if they're libertarian, but yeah. Yeah, okay, very, I, you're fair enough. I, I, everybody's a libertarian. They just, yeah, haven't yeah, figured true, it out yet. No, true. yeah, so you're, you're very correct at correcting me on this. I have libertarian friends in Orange County, <laughs> but yes, it is the conservative stronghold in California. And with the Federal Reserve System, I am, I'm a tech optimist. I'm a fan of Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency in general. Uh, I get the argument for Bitcoin maximalism, uh, and, and, and I, I get the argument for competing cryptocurrencies. Kind of an agnostic on it. I definitely want there to be the opportunity for competition and i want there to be a way to transition away from the fiat currency system as quickly and fairly as possible and that's what the bankruptcy process makes uniquely possible because what we're going to do is create a digital security token i wouldn't call it a cryptocurrency because it's not technically distributed or decentralized but it is blockchain based it is uh, fully transparent and every single American gets issued a thousand AmeriCoins by social security number. So we use is this is this like Andrew Yang's? No, no, no. You see, there's <laughs> a this is, and I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a very important distinction. Do you want your birthright and your inheritance back, or do you want the government to manage it for you and give you an allowance? I want mine back. Yeah, that's what this is. As the bankruptcy agent of the federal government of the United States of America, my fiduciary responsibility is to pay back the true creditors, the American people. The debt on paper is not a legitimate debt. It's intergenerational child abuse to force people to pay for stuff that they never had a say in. So that ends. We write it off. Again, another beautiful part of localization, the bankruptcy process. You walk away from the liability of the criminals in government uh, that they have created allegedly for all of us and say, no, that's not a legitimate debt. We're writing that off. The thousand AmeriCoins that every American gets are actually tokens that are the only currency that we accept for the liquidating assets of the federal government, including the, by some estimates, $200 trillion worth of land, mostly in the Western states. So people states will be able to pull those AmeriCoins together to buy off these To these buy the Federal or, Department of Education yeah. building. Interesting. The yeah. land will be auctioned off in as small plots as, as, as practical. Se separate from the AmeriCoin? Or is no, it no, that's the land part. So that's all interesting. of the assets, include, so nuclear weapons, don't worry, we're going to de-weaponize them completely so they are only, but the raw material for industrial purposes, the buildings, 
um, all, all of the assets that, that, that do not get apportioned among the states. So the next big challenge that, that, that people ask about this is what about the military? And most people understand we've come to the point where the biggest threats are governments with overgrown militaries that get to operate in secrecy rather than nations trying to take each other over. Like, no, we're, we, we've, we've evolved past that. But even in that world, the decentralized militia-based defense of a well-armed public that refuses to be governed by anyone that the founders advocated is the best system. How do we transition to that? And what I propose is actually a relatively modest first step where we take the U.S. military, massively overgrown, making us less safe in every way imaginable, especially by the founders' ideals of, well, you're basically saying that you're willing to be governed. Governments are protected by militaries. Free people are defended by militias. Mm -hmm. Afghanistan very successfully defended itself as the graveyard of empires with a decentralized tribal system. Mm -hmm. I'm not defending all the values of those tribes, but the yeah. fact that they had people willing to take up arms and say, no. Against, against the Soviet Union first, then yes, against the exactly. United States. Yeah. Yeah, and you're not, we're not going to be governed by you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so many great historical ironies <laughs> baked into this point. And in the U.S., it was Admiral Yamamoto, World War II. Why did he not invade the mainland? a rifle behind every blade of grass. It's a more effective, more efficient, and more ethical defense. So the modest proposal of a first step that I'm offering here is that we immediately withdraw all troops from abroad, close down all foreign bases, bring home all the equipment. Uh, where appropriate, sell off facilities. If not, just hand them over to the governments of those countries or, or the people as appropriate or as possible. And then we separate the military into offensive and defensive elements. Offensive, nuclear weapons, long-range bombers, drones, aircraft carriers, nuclear submarines. No legitimate defensive purpose at all. DARPA, all, all, all the secret military intelligence stuff, no legitimate defensive purpose. No honest, transparent government operating on a ethical premise of defense needs any of those things ever. There's no excuse for it. So those get de-weaponized and liquidated. And then the assets of the military that are appropriate for defensive purposes get a portion among the states and sovereign entities that come out of this dissolution process. So a National Guard of your state, I mean, California, right, breaks off, becomes the seventh largest economy in the world. Well, yeah, their military is still probably going to be like the fourth or fifth largest in the world. You know, it, it, we're still going to have, and, and, and I think what's really at the heart of this is something that is, is really near and dear to my heart and something that's more of an almost spiritual nature that I can only really describe as the separation of soldiers from warriors and a warrior is someone who's willing to put their life on the line to do the right thing a soldier is someone who follows orders from a politician and the perversion of what the american revolution was about and what it's supposed to mean to be american has been perverted by militarism more than anything else it is the great tragedy at the core of the story of this country that 
we have allowed militarism to become an overgrown cancer on the warrior class that has turned warriors into soldiers. And to separate that and to say, no, serving in the military is saying, I'm, I'm going to kill for politicians when it comes down to it. And this is something that's very personal to me because uh, I was in Fallujah in 2004 with the Marines. And, um, you know, I, I followed orders that I should not have. And I was even, I identified as a libertarian at the time. And I was presented libertarianism as socially liberal, fiscally conservative. And it's not, that's a gross the Gary distortion Johnson definition. of, yeah. no, it's not. It's, 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 it's playing their game. Even if you take the positions or policy or compromise positions of someone like Gary Johnson, you're fundamentally missing the point that libertarianism is an ethical movement, philosophical movement, um, even a, a kind of spiritual movement of, of love and respect and embracing ethics for humanity. It's not a political movement. Mm -hmm. it, it, you could say that this is ethics applied to politics, but obviously, and we see it in the culture around the party and the movement, so many other expressions of this, of people building communities and businesses and organizations to, to meet people's needs, to maximize value, to reduce criminality from government and non-government actors. But when you embrace ethics, when you realize ethics, because government doesn't give you this, they want you to think that you should get your sense of right and wrong from what is legal and what is not legal. And just a simple examination of this, you go, wow, yeah, no kidding. That's, that's, that's a crappy idea. That's, that's a dangerous, destructive idea. And you go, wow, okay, no, there is such a thing as ethics, as consistent ethics. You know, you own yourself. Don't hit, don't steal, don't kill. Not unless you're a cop, soldier, or IRS agent. These are basic human ethics. And when you ignore them, you, you hurt people. You, you, and you hold humanity back from our potential. So when you get that, and then you look at what are the great injustices of the world, and, and this is why libertarians are passionate about economics, is that anytime you look at economic injustices or inefficiencies, you go, wow, why is this happening? It's because of violence, because of the coercion of the state. And then you, you, you see how much of our lives are dominated by this, and you go, wow, 90% of the violence in the world today is done in the name of governments. And of the remaining 10%, 90% of that is directly caused by governments with the war on drugs and, 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 and the, the war on poverty, the war on poor people, right? And keeping people shut out of, uh, out of recourse in the justice system. It's really illegal. I, it's unfair for me to call what we have now a justice system. Well, you know, I think an interesting point, your whole campaign, your whole localization message, and I never really thought of it this way, but it really is a campaign for justice because you're going after the biggest offender yeah. of yeah. invading our rights. Yeah. So you're not fit to yeah. exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Pull the plug. Simple as that. It's, it's, uh, well, the, the other thing is I think, I think you would appreciate it from the, the, the perspective of the economic analysis that as an institution, as a corporation, the federal government of the United States of America is not sustainable and it's going to end one way or another. And if it ends in a collapse, or if there's a reorganization even in a collapse around the dollar, it's going to lead to a further concentration of power. And 
I think the general course of human history is to decentralize power, to become less violent over time. And I don't think that that overall trend is going to be changed, but we are coming to a kind of crossroads, several tipping points coinciding, several critical turning points that are just over the horizon. And in the, in the general dance of, of, of human progress, I think it's two steps forward, one step backwards, but you never know how big are the steps going to be. Maybe, maybe it's going to be two steps backwards this time. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to go for three forward, you know, and, and maybe the start of fiat currency and, and the growth of modern bureaucratic governments around fiat currency systems could be seen as a, a major step backwards. And as Ron Paul said, you know, it's no coincidence that the century of central banking coincided with the century of total war. These are, these are very directly linked. Um, and I just see that with what I'm offering specifically, there's a unique opportunity to make sure that we take a really big step forward, mm -hmm. that we finish the promise of the first American revolution. Little historical sidebar is that I recently got into understanding the Articles of Confederation. The If you're a constitutionalist, you believe in rule of law as per a nation state creating a charter document that authorizes its government, well then, guess what? We're living under a coup. This is a counter-revolution that got us the current constitution. It was not legally ratified. It was coercively ratified, and it was done so with disregard for the rules of the Constitution in place at the time, the Articles of Confederation, which required unanimous consent for any fundamental change in the document. They just had another convention and said, well, let's make it 9 out of 13, and then we'll get those for sure, and then we'll strong-arm the rest into it, and that's what they did. We are living under an illegal regime, constitutionally speaking. And uh, to see that it was designed to do exactly what it's doing. I think it's a really important understanding to have, you know, no love lost for the institution or, or sentimentality. Cause you know, again, when you, when you go back in history, you, man, you uncover all this stuff and it just reaffirms uh, the counter narrative to, to everything we've been told. Yeah. Pretty much everything you've been told about government is a lie. How about that? It's, that's the truth. One last question. And I bring this up because it's uh, sort of come to the forefront recently in the uh, libertarian presidential race. There's a candidate who's um, in the past few years has uh, advocated um, against age of consent laws. And now it's come to the forefront with another candidate um, being in favor of age of consent laws. And the reason I'm asking each uh, candidate about this, because you'll be up on stage at a debate and maybe you get 30 seconds to answer it. So I want to give you a little more time to elaborate really on What's your stance on how you feel about it? How I feel about how, it? How you feel? I'm well, glad well, that there's a vigorous debate in the LP about this. What is my position on age of consent laws? I think society creating a concept of consent is extremely important to protect people who aren't able to consent. And it's unfortunate that government is our current mechanism of doing that. And there are a lot of problems with it. But since I'm not a central planner, I wouldn't pretend to know how society should best enforce protecting people who aren't able to consent. All I know is that what we're going to be able to come up with first at a community level and then eventually by cooperative means is going to be far more effective at protecting people who cannot consent than what we have today. All right, Adam. Well, thank you for your time. If you could just plug everyone in, let them know where they can find your website, all that good stuff to uh, of course. 
Thanks for the opportunity. I will say for anybody who's listening to this, please put your money where your eyes and ears are. Support independent media. Being a techno-optimist means nothing without an active and engaged people to apply this technology. And independent media is a critical part of moving humanity forward right now. So please support the show. Uh, my website is thefreedomline.com. You can get my book there for free. All three words, thefreedomline.com. You can find Kokish for president from there without having to remember how to spell my funny last name. And uh, I hope to see you in Austin, in Texas, in May of this year for, I think it's, I, and I'm not, I'm not just saying, this is, this is the most important election of your lifetime. No, I'm not trying to play that corny crap. But uh, this is going to be a really exciting convention. And, uh, you know, our team feels really good about our prospects going into it. But I'm, I'm happy to admit there are eight presidential candidates who very easily could muster 20% or more. Obviously not at the same time. I know how math works. But the, 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 we have eight strong candidates who, who could by May be that strong and, and a, a number of whom would uh, be able to build a coalition for the nomination. But none of us are going in with a clear lead in delegates and none of us are going in with anywhere near 50% to clinch it on the first ballot. So it is going to be a very exciting brokered convention. Unless something crazy happens, I mean, I'm, I'm walking by burning buildings looking for babies to pull out of them, you know, as much as I can between now and May. But, you know, aside from some kind of surprise event like that or, or you know, um, Jesus Christ deciding to run as a libertarian in 2020, yeah, it, it's going to be a really exciting brokered convention, and uh, I hope everybody who's listening can be there. All right. Adam, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. All right. I am here with Joe McHugh, uh, still here at the Libertarian Party convention, and uh, some of you out there, maybe most of you out there haven't heard of Joe, so... First thing I want to do is give you a chance to introduce yourself because you are a candidate running for president. And uh, I just sat in the the forum here. Every candidate got a chance to uh, address the delegation. And I was like, wow, this guy's making a lot of sense. So I wanted to sit down with you. So tell us your story, Joe. Why are you running for president? Well, John, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, I'm from Detroit and I grew up uh, seeing uh, basically uh, families being destroyed by the crack epidemic, right? And so I knew then and there that if that was happening, it was because somebody was making money off of destroying these families. Uh, they were making money off of the drugs. And I knew that if, you know, to me that was wrong. And uh, I, I committed myself at that point when I was in my early teens that I was going to do something about it. Uh, I spent the next, I don't know, I went to college at Michigan State and got a degree at uh, uh, of, of liberal arts. Is that uh, why you have the green tie? That's partly, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of green. You know, I've got a green water there, bottle, there you, you know. Um, but also our rights are, are derived from the laws of nature and nature's God. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's in paragraph one of our declaration. And so it's, uh, you know, I do love the color green. Um, um, you know, and I'm involved in this because the country has drifted away from liberty. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and we need to get back to to American values, and um, we're, we're nowhere near there. So, so you said that, uh, you know, growing up in Michigan, seeing sort of the effects of the war on drugs, what was your evolution 
you know, just as a person growing up, did you get attracted to one of the major parties first and uh, look for solutions there? Or what's, what's your story? So the first time I had a chance to vote was at Michigan State. Uh, and it was in 96 when I was a freshman. And uh, at that point, I believe you had, it was Bill Clinton against, was it Bob Dole or somebody? I'm not really sure who was on the Republican side, but I did vote for Bill Clinton. Um, and, uh, and then in 2000, you know, and, and things actually were pretty good in the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we actually, Bill Clinton and Al Gore actually balanced the budget. Uh, you know, they, they respected, I believe they respected the constitutional rights. I mean, we, we didn't feel like we were totally surrounded by fake news at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, things changed after 9-11. And, and I remember watching the Bush-Gore debates, and I remember seeing there was a moment, I think it was in the second debate, where George W. Bush said that we would not engage in nation building. And he was lying at that point, and I knew it. And at that point, I knew that we were going to go to war. He was talking about Iraq and everything else, and he knew we were going to go to war. And when those planes hit that Twin Towers mm-hmm. the year later, I knew it was us right away. And um, so I've never voted Republican because I believe the Republican Party has been hijacked by, by, by authoritarians. Yeah, That's, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because— George Bush ran on a very libertarian-esque foreign he policy he did. when he first ran. He they, did. 9/11 but he happened, didn't do anything All anything thrown out like the it. window. That's right. right. Exactly. So let's focus in on the criminal justice system. Um, you are running for office, trying to get the libertarian nomination, but you're set on um, going for, I mean, you're out getting signatures regardless. So you're running for president. So I'm running as an independent, mm-hmm. and I would accept the nomination from the Libertarian or the Democratic Party because mm-hmm. I still believe the Republicans are hijacked by authoritarians. Um, I believe that uh, that uh, if the Libertarian Party were to give me the nomination, it would be because they are willing to expand the base and make sure that liberty is now a mainstream value. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, the Libertarian Party is a fringe party. Um, and I think it's a shame because liberty is something that all Americans care about. It's kind of weird that liberty has become almost like a controversial word in mm-hmm. a way because people don't, I mean, if people are talking about it in a way that the, the word is understood, the actual definition of the word, but when you attach liberty, like like our podcast, Lines of Liberty, people are like, oh, that's, that's a fringe libertarian podcast. We can't share that with our friends who are Democrats and Republicans. It's like, well, we're talking about liberty here. What are, you, are you kidding me? Um, so to focus back on criminal justice, on the criminal justice system, during this process, running for um, a nomination or getting the nomination, running in the general, what are some things that you could do as a candidate to focus on the criminal justice system? What areas would you want to uh, sort of address a laser focus on that need to be changed first? Okay. Um, happy to answer that question. First, I want to define liberty for the listeners, sure, if sure. possible. To me, liberty is clean air. Liberty is fresh water. Liberty is healthy food. Liberty is the right to do what you please as long as you're not affecting other people, right? Liberty is a constitution that's applied evenly and fairly to all people. Now, it's that last point that I think that, you know, uh, speaking to black America or Hispanic America in particular, mm-hmm. um, that, that they would argue that the Constitution is not being applied evenly to all people. And I, I absolutely feel the same way, especially coming from, from Detroit and seeing mm-hmm. how our Constitution has been applied. Um, it's not. It's not applied evenly. We have a closed source system. Uh, we, you know, we, when you go to apply for credit, for example, let's talk about basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? When you go to apply for credit, you know, with the three the three credit union or the TransUnion, Equifax, Experian, 
we don't know how they come up with those credit scores, right? And so those credit scores determine everything that we do in the world, right? And so there's no there's no telling if they're seg- if they're discriminating based on what you look like or where you live mm-hmm. or what you do for a living, right? And so there's that's one thing that I think is you know money controls everything, and if we don't open source that. Um, declassify, open source, these types of things, then we don't have true freedom. So that's one of the things. And the second thing is, in particular, again, I mentioned I grew up in Detroit and the crack mm-hmm. epidemic was wreaking havoc on, on, on black families there. I want to legalize, regulate, and tax cannabis. I want to decriminalize all drugs. I want to get people out of prison, off the pills, off the streets, and back to work. And, it's, and I want to do these things because I have seen what the effect of uh, the war on drugs and what the effect of our systemically racist policies are doing mm-hmm. to, to, to black and Hispanic families. So let me ask you a question there just on the, uh, the taxing of the cannabis. Sure. Part. Because we've seen several states have legalized recreational cannabis, mm-hmm. a lot, of, lot more have legalized uh, medicinal cannabis. And you've seen, especially in California, where they've taxed it to the point where the black market is, is still uh, yeah. still very necessary right. because it's the prices are, are distorted. So, is why is taxation the, the right route to go for uh, for cannabis? Well, that's an interesting point. Um, I would I would concede that that is not as important as legalizing and regulating, mm-hmm. and ultimately, I think that. Um, you know, taxing taxing it like cigarettes or alcohol can raise can raise some revenue. Um, so I just I guess it's just a, it's something that I think makes sense. But um, but you make a very good point. For example, in California and other places, you can tax it so much that you create a black market mm-hmm. that would defeat the purpose of of this of this objective here. And so, uh, you know. I, I'm not. I'm not all in on taxing it. I'm mm-hmm. just all in on legalizing and decriminalizing, so we can get people out of prison. Um, it just happens to be something that I think people are familiar with, since you know cigarettes and alcohol are, ta- are taxed. So when you look on, when you look at uh, decriminalizing these these harder drugs, you know a lot of people will push back on that. Say, well, if you legalize heroin and cocaine, then everyone's going to be doing it. Um, what would you say to? You know, the the mothers out there, you know, driving their kids to soccer practice who are trying to keep their children safe from heroin and cocaine, who are afraid if you say legalize these drugs. Well, the first thing I would say, especially to people who uh, have experienced opiate addiction uh, and or know somebody has who has dealt with that. The first thing I would say is we need to declassify, decentralize and open source our government, because if you look at the economic data, we did not have a heroin problem or an opiate problem before we invaded Afghanistan. There is a direct correlation there. Over 90% of the world's opium supply is in Afghanistan. So if we invaded Iraq for oil, why did we invade Afghanistan? It's a great question. Right? It seems to me like we might have invaded it for, for opium. And so... You know, that's part of the reason why we need to declassify, decentralize, and open source our government so that we can expose the frauds who, for who they are and go after corruption at its source. Now, specifically with regard to legalizing, decriminalizing, et cetera, um, you know, when you have a, when you, first off, when you make it illegal, you're creating a black market for gangsters, drug, you know, gangbangers, whatever. And you're also creating a black market for illicit operatives within the government 
who may be making money off of this because otherwise we wouldn't have invaded Afghanistan. The CIA. Right, exactly, the CIA, okay? So, uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, just like other gentlemen, in, uh, and I believe there's one woman in there who were talking about uh, what liberty is, right? When you trust, when you have some faith and you actually trust in, 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 in each other and you, and you educate people, Right. And then you you follow the best practices of other countries like Portugal, for example. They've decriminalized. They have gotten people out of prison. They have uh, helped people to to recover from from addiction, uh, get back into and get back to work and rejoin their families and stay part of their families. I mean, that is ultimately what's most important. And then you can even look and I'm, I'm going out on a limb here, but I believe you can even look at um, alcohol. Right. So, I mean, in Europe. Alcohol is now, you don't have to be 21, right? And they don't have the binge drinking problem that we do in the United States. Because it's not forbidden. It's, it's not forbidden, yeah. exactly. So, you know, I think that we're, it's one of those things where if you're choking on something, the first thing you do is you try to grab your neck, mm-hmm. right? But that can end up making things worse, right? We need to actually relax and loosen things up a little bit. Let's get smart about a regulation and let's make sure that it's legalized and decriminalized and regulated so that. Um, so that people have access to good things like, like, like you know, cannabis because it's healthy for certain things. Also, I'd say, uh, you know, certain parts, certain types of uh, mushrooms are, are actually good for treating PTSD and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually research on that is actually starting to ramp up. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's just a matter of doing the right thing. And, and the, the and the idea that, that uh, that we we need to keep it illegal is really something that's based in fear mm-hmm. of the unknown rather than understanding the issue. So turning our attention from you know changing these actual laws that are putting people in prison, mm-hmm. um, people are going to end up in prison. Even in a more free society where we do have legal drugs, there's still going to be people who break the law, committing fraud, things like that. How would you? envision changing the prison system, what sorts of measures would you want to see put in place or advocate for that would change the prison system from being this uh, sort of very punitive, abusive, I mean, you could characterize as being almost torture at certain points. I mean, I think a lot of people have a mischaracterization of what prison is actually like. I mean, I've interviewed a lot of people who have some crazy stories about being brought to the brink of death in prison, not getting health care to even just barely survive and skate by. Um, how would you change the prison system from that very dire model to one that's actually going to when people are released? Because most people do get released. Um, when people are released, they can actually be uh, contributing members to society, add so, value to society. Right. That's a great question. So we have a system of incarceration, unemployment, and homelessness. And it, it just kind of goes in circles. And if you happen to be born black in America, in, in, the, in, you know, in, in one of our cities like Detroit, for example, uh, and you're male, you, you have a 30% chance of going from high school to prison. Mm-hmm. And once you go to prison... You're not going to be able to get a job. You're going to likely be unemployed. You're likely to get back involved in some sort of illegal action, and you're going to go right back to prison. And um, so the system is set up, and it's it's it is systemically racist. There's no question about that, mm-hmm. right? Um, on top of that, there are different types of there are different punishments for crack cocaine versus for against regular cocaine. Mm-hmm. How does that make any sense? Right? That doesn't make doesn't any make sense any at all, sense. right? Yeah. So, uh, so at the very least, those are things that need to be addressed because when you have a prison system that has, I think it's like a five or, you know, I, I, I don't know, stats are 
it's like 18 to one or something. It, it's not it's not proportionally represented, right? So it's like 13% of the population is black and yet they represent like 60% or 70% of the person. Don't quote me on that, but it's, 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 it's way out of whack in terms of the representation of the population. Um, and I think that if we were to equalize the rules, if we were to invest in mental health, if we are invest in coaching and mentorship, uh, not just for people that are returning citizens out of prison, but for people in general, uh, because you know, people don't know what's, what's available, what are the options. And so I think that those investing in mental health, investing in, in coaching and mentoring, uh, leveling the playing field in terms of, you know, like crack versus cocaine and other things, legalizing cannabis, decriminalizing all drugs, we'd probably be able to get 50% of the prison population out. The other thing is we're detaining people without issuing actual, without actually putting them on trial. The right to a speedy trial, I think that's our, what, sixth, the uh, fifth or sixth amendment, due process is fifth, sixth amendment is your right to a speedy trial, mm -hmm. right? That, that's, might as well throw that out the window with the Patriot Act too. We're, we're detaining people for indefinitely at the border in Guantanamo, and we're doing it in local prisons. Um, that's wrong. And it well, needs at, at the border, they have the, uh, what do they call it, like the no constitution zone, where the consti <laughs> constitution's on basically the entire state of Florida, because it's, it's you know, around the entire border, the constitution's not enforceable. And that, and that is ridiculous, yeah. too, because... And, and no, nobody knows about I that actually either. didn't know yeah. about that either. Yeah. I actually didn't. That might explain why somebody else's name showed up on my student loan account. Because, and they were from Florida, so it's possibly that that's it. But the constitution was written by our founding fathers uh, to apply to all people, not just Americans, the, the fact that our rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were derived from the laws of nature and nature's God means that every human being, not just every man or not just every uh, American, but every human being has those rights because they're natural rights of humankind. So that means that the Constitution should apply not just within the U.S. borders, but everywhere. So there is no Constitution-free zone. And if that does exist, as I take your word for it, we got to find a way to shut that down. That's ridiculous. So just to, to pivot here, to turn back to your story, uh, just to give, you know, two minutes to three minutes uh, for people who don't know you. Um, what is something that is, you know, important about yourself as a person, as a candidate uh, that you want to get across? Sure. Well, thank you. Um, so. So, John, uh, the first thing is, you know, I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, as a Marine Corps officer. And I believe wholeheartedly that America has been hijacked by authoritarian elements within the CIA, the FBI, and the Federal Reserve. And they are also controlling our two-party system and potentially the Libertarian Party as well. Right, which is the reason why I'm running as an independent. Now, I would love the Democrats or the Libertarian Party to prove me wrong with their nomination, and provided they give me my running mate that I want, that and then you know, then I would accept it. Um, we have a system right now where we have our air is dirty and it gives us asthma. Our water is full of lead and causes developmental disabilities. Our food makes us sick and fat. We separate parents from children at the borders. We build walls instead of bridges. You know, the two planes flew into the Twin Towers and immediately after that, the month after that, we passed the Patriot Act. 
And that suspended the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Shortly thereafter... And it was a gigantic it was, bill. Just, absolutely. Just sitting, just sitting just, ready to go. As they, yeah, I mean, coincidentally, like, come on, 10,000 pages that happened less than, just a month after? Give me a break, right? Mm-hmm. There's no coincidence here. This is, this is all planned. And, and I list it all out on, on my two websites, right? So I have one website called hijackingamerica.com and another one called libertystrikesback.com. So it's kind of like a problem-solution setup. I believe that the Federal Reserve is at the heart of the problem because it's dark money, they're completely unaccountable, and it, when you have that setup, you can buy off everybody within the intelligence apparatus and you can buy off all your politicians. We need to end the Fed and go green instead. We want to turn it into a credit union that is clean, green, and citizen-owned so that every American has an equal ownership stake in our economy so that we can get off of oil and out of oil wars and invest into renewables and organics instead. I would also take it a step further and pass an Amendments for America package, which you can check out on my website as well. But that Federal Reserve is the key. Joe McHugh, ladies and gentlemen, check him out. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to today's show, another great episode of Felony Friday. As you know, Felony Friday is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, we kick off every single week with our Monday show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams, it's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, liberty, swearing, and just just good fun. Check that out. You can get all three shows by subscribing for the great price of $0 per month. You get everything that we have here. So please check everything out. And uh, if you like it all, please think about, consider supporting what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. A great way to do that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride you can do that by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Another great way of doing that is by uh, following, liking, sharing our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at Lions of Liberty. And the discussion forum where all the greatest and brightest minds go to to talk about politics, liberty, everything that's happening in the world today, current events, the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can find by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of Facebook, clicking search, comes up, say you want to join it, answer a question, bam, you're in, and the rest is just going to be a great journey for you. So check that out. That's all I have for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.